Hello, HR professionals. Good news. This episode of the Cool Leaf podcast is valid for 0.5 professional development credits towards SHRM CP, SHRM SCP, and HRCI recertification. Stay tuned to access your certification code. Welcome to The Great Retention, a show spotlighting executive leaders who have built award-winning cultures where people feel empowered, seen, and recognized. Today, John Duesberg is joined by three great people leaders and a live audience at the Atlanta Tech Village. John sits down with Katie Cox Branham, VP of People at SalesLoft, Jeff Perkins, former CEO of Park Mobile, and Donald Knight, Chief People Officer at Greenhouse Software. Katie, Jeff, and Donald chat with John about creating a winning culture and how to bring core values to life in a remote environment. Today's episode is filmed live at the Atlanta Tech Village and is part one of this two-part episode. We hope you enjoy this conversation as much as we did. Over to you, John. Hey, everyone. How are you doing tonight? (laughs) So good to see y'all. So uh, good to see everyone tonight. Welcome. So I don't know if, I don't know who all knows this. Some of you know this. So today, my baby's three weeks old. <laughs> and he didn't sleep last night. <laughs> and, uh, and so I'm a little tired, but we have a great, a great event planned for you this evening. We've got some phenomenal leaders who are going to be sharing about their experience, their lesson learned, everything around employee experience. How do you attract, retain uh, best people. And uh, we're also, we have a, a, a lot of leaders here in the room tonight, and we have uh, a couple hundred people who are attending virtually all around the world. So so this is a really special evening. Thank you for coming out. We're super excited. I wanted to first introduce myself. My name is John Duesberg. I'm one of the co-founders of Cool Leaf with my with Prem Bhatia, my co-founder, and Sarwar, other co-founder. So, And we have our whole team here. We flew everybody in, and I wanted to shout out two people, because we like to celebrate at Cool Leaf. So yesterday was Thomas's one-year work anniversary. Where are you at, Thomas? He's over there. Okay. And yesterday also was Brandy's first day. Where's Brandy? <laughs> okay. So we like to celebrate. All right. So I wanted to give you a little bit of background about the great retention. Okay. So the vision, how all this all came together. About a year ago, everyone was talking about the buzzword, the great resignation, right? People leaving their company for different reasons, kind of a negative conversation. And because of the work that we do at Cool Leaf around employee recognition, engagement, experience, we get to see these awesome things that are happening that leaders are doing with their employees and kind of elevating that top workplace culture, but no one's talking about it. And so we decided, hey, we're going to put a spotlight on these really great things that are happening and share those stories, right? And so the Great Retention, the podcast was, was born, and we interview different executive leaders to share about their experience, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything in between. So today we have, we have some, great, some great leaders who are going to be sharing you know, about their experience as well. And so, but our vision is this is, becomes a movement. This becomes a community, right? That you can learn from other leaders to become a better leader for yourself, but to take these ideas and be able to apply it inside of your own organization. 
right? And so, so that's a little bit about the, the vision and, and the background for the great retention. And we're live, so we're streaming again all over. And so we're super excited to host you all here today. So I'm going to go ahead and invite our speakers, up, Jeff, Donald, and Katie. And uh, please give them a warm welcome. Sheree, good to see you. <laughs> and we're going to get into it. And there's also going to be questions that, you know, for the audience that, that you know, we'll, we'll have time for. So, you know, please be, you know, be thinking of those good, hard questions for Jeff. <laughs> We're going to start off just by doing intros. We'll start with you, Katie. And just, if you don't mind, just share a little bit about your leadership role, about sales off the organization, and then we'll pass it to, to Jeff and, and to Donald here. So excited to be here with all of you tonight. I'm Katie. I lead the HR and people team at SalesLoft. We're headquartered here in Atlanta. We have about 950 employees. 150 of those people are in London. We have roughly 75 in Mexico. And then we just opened our Singapore office a few months ago, and we've got about 10 employees in Singapore. So that's what SalesLoft looks like today. Awesome. Jeff. Yeah, which is... That is just crazy to me because a couple of years ago, I used to come to this office and visit Kyle in his little, there were like four of them yep. doing like sales email. Actually, at that time, it was like LinkedIn scraping tool. And I was I actually was one of their first clients. So it's amazing to think how big you are now. So that's, that's awesome. So for the past five years, I've been in a company called Park Mobile. Uh, does anyone have the Park Mobile app? Awesome. Anyone know the zone number for Pond City Market? <laughs> two, two, two. A lot of people like Pond City Market here. That's awesome. Yeah, so Park Mobile started in Atlanta. I think one of the, the great tech stories here this year, we hit the 40 million user milestone. So one of the, the biggest apps. We're actually number, I think we're number three in the navigation category of the app store, only behind Google Maps and Waze. So a really great app. So I, when I joined, we had about 75 employees at the company. So so decent size, kind of mid-sized business. When I left the company last month, we had about 225. So really amazing growth for that business. It was a super fun. Yeah, and so, but, but growing from, you know, four people to almost 1,000, growing from, you know, 75 to, to 225, it's a lot of growing pains when you go through that transition. Absolutely, and Donald. Nice. Well, first I'll say hi to all the people there on LinkedIn, just because there's so many different stories now around borderless environments and hybrid work and making sure that we engage those folks as well. My name is Donald Knight. I have the pleasure of being the chief people officer for Greenhouse Software. Many of you have probably received jobs because of our software. It's a hiring software company. We're a distributed company, so a little shy of a thousand folks, roughly around 850, and we're very much people first. So I'm super excited about that. I also see a few greenies in the audience, one of which is Nia Darvel, who leads our inclusion, diversity, equity, and allyship efforts as one of our leaders on that team. And she and I were just in Boston last night facilitating some great vulnerable conversation and connection with some of the greenhouse folks there. So the fact that she was willing to make the flight back to Atlanta and still make this event, I want to just give you a shout out and say thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, Donald was emailing us at 35,000 feet in the air this morning, so asking about... So we're all coordinated. We all got the gray memo here, so... Okay, so we're going to jump in with some questions. Katie, I'm going to start with you here, and, you know, pretty much every leader I talk to, they all agree, you know, culture is the, the glue, right? The, the foundation, right? And 
I hear, I hear leaders talking about they want to create a winning culture, okay? So they want to grow, create a winning culture. And so I want to ask one, what does that mean to you as, as, a, as a people leader? What does that mean, a winning culture mean in sales loft? But also, you know, we've got a, a, a tough macro environment right now, right? So, you know, there's uncertainty, you know, there's layoffs. So how do you, how do you navigate these macro conditions but stay true to your, your core yeah. when it comes to winning culture? Well, I think the first thing is that culture is not the ping pong table in the office. And it's not the free lunches that so many of us used to have. Many of us don't even have offices anymore to have that. So I think first you have to define your culture. And for us, our culture is our values and how we live them out. It's everything from how we win together, how we lose together, how we have conflict together, which is just as important, if not more important than how you win together. So all of those things are what we consider make up culture. We have our five core values and it is a filter for so many of the decisions we make as a business. We define a, a winning culture as attracting and retaining the top talent. I view that as what my team is responsible for and where we spend a lot of our time. And it's something that we constantly have to redefine, whether it's COVID and we're you know, no longer in the office together or we're shifting and we're going through the macroeconomic environment that we're in today. It's something that we constantly adapt and change to. Yeah, and you know, so a shout out to Cherie at Sales Loft because we did an interview and she leads, she's the executive leader of diversity, equity, inclusion. And I'm kind of doing a, a little <laughs> riff here, but Cherie mentioned that, you know, that DEI strategy is a contact sport. And I feel like, you know, that culture is a contact sport. You've got to, you know, get in close and, and have those conversations. But I, I, I know that Sales Loft is very intentional about the culture. So Jeff, Donald, talk to us about winning culture. What does that mean to you as a leader? Either one of you guys. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right on, like, I kind of I kind of hate the word culture because it's it's so generic. And, and to, like you said, like, culture is not a cool office or, you know, a culture is like the way you treat each other, the way you treat your clients, the, the way you, it's, and, and you know, the, the core values are so critical. So you can't really have a culture without strong core values. So that that's kind of something I've really focused on with the teams is that, you know, you know, what are our core values? And, you know, different companies take different approaches to core values. And, and you know, the in the worst case, core values are just like super generic. They put them on the walls and then nobody really kind of lives and breathes core values. But if if the core values are really true to what the company is, they can be very powerful. And so, you know, some things that, that we did at Park Mobile, you know, we had, we had six core values and we truly made them part of the hiring process. We made them part of the who gets a bonus, who gets promoted, sometimes who gets fired. And, but because we really live the core values, it, it infused into the way we operated as an organization and thus it created the culture of the company. So I think, I think you know, defining your core values is, is probably the easy part of the process but how you live those core values out day in, day out, how you make it really a part of the organization, that's what's really gonna drive your culture. Yeah, I would, I would echo those same sentiments. I think when, when it comes to culture, it's constant, right? So it's something that you constantly have to like mind and, and, and nurture. I think the other thing I would say is like, to your point, Jeff, around like people that may put values on the wall, like we see this now with candidates, right? Like they're joining these organizations and they're finding out they've been catfished. They joined an organization based on the values that they told them that they live out. And then once they join, they realize that's not the case. 
right? And so like to your point, I think you have to be values driven. I think ultimately though, it starts with the hiring process. So I love the fact that you stay true to Cool Leaf culture and you shout out people on their anniversary, shout out people on their first day at, at Cool Leaf. To me, like, I think it starts with hiring. And it's this idea around like, how do you bake in on the front end of the process when you're bringing people on and really like mine your shop and be very intentional around the cultural additions or enhancers that you're adding to your community. For me personally, I am a little bit biased. I know I probably shouldn't say that I'm biased, but I'm super biased because I know what Park Mobile and Sales Loft do from an investment on their hiring because they're both greenhouse clients. And so when they tell you, <laughs> When, when Jeff says that it's actually baked into the hiring process around the values, I know I can see it. I can go into the platform and see how they're baking that in. But I believe when you start to talk about like a winning culture, winning doesn't start once somebody starts. It actually starts when you're actually trying to recruit them from a candidate perspective. I love that. It's, it's the full employee experience, even before they start. Exactly. Yeah. So, so Jeff, I'm going to, I'm going to navigate to a topic that, you know, you know, you mentioned about, you know, how do you bring core values to life? Okay. And every leader in this room and online, you know, they've had to navigate this distributed teams, you know, remote environment now. Right. And so now you're, you're hiring people and they've never met anybody, you know, those things that you used to do perhaps, well, you know, you're not, it's not the same that you're, what you're doing anymore. Right. And so how, how do you, you know, at Park Mobile, you know, what were some of the lessons learned, right? How did you, how did you bring those values to life, right? Or what, give us, you know, any stories, good, bad, anything in between that you can share when it comes to distributed teams and, and still being able to create that winning culture, yeah. but not using the word culture. <laughs> so we, we made, we made some mistakes, I think, early on when everyone went home, because, because we were all five days a week in the office for the most part. 75% of our company is in Atlanta, 25% are in the field, mostly salespeople. But so we were kind of like a, you know, butts and seats kind of culture. Like people were there, they liked to be there. It was really fun. You know, we back pre-COVID, everyone kind of liked to be in the office. So that was great. But then COVID happened and we're like, okay, we need to do everything we did in person on Zoom. And I think that was a huge mistake. And I will never go to another Zoom happy hour if, in my life because it's the worst thing ever. But we, we, we did, so we did everything on Zoom. We, and, and I think a lot of companies did this because we were like kind of trying our best to, to recreate a great in-person culture virtually. And I, I think that the, the lesson learned there is you can't, you can't force a culture on Zoom that there's things you can't do on Zoom that, are, that you can do in person. And so, we, we learned after a year that nobody wants to go to Zoom happy hours. Nobody wants to do the, all these kind of Zoom, you know, scavenger hunts and culture events. And, and luckily, we got to a point where things were reopening. And I think the most important thing that we found is like, you got, even if you're not gonna be in office all the time, even if people are gonna work kind of hybrid, you gotta get the team together a lot. And a lot could be once a month, it could be once a quarter, it could be more frequent, but, when we started getting people back together in person, and sometimes it was for meetings, and sometimes it was for fun, more often than not for fun, we really saw sort of the culture that was drained by Zoom come back. And, and so the, I think the lesson was you gotta get back together. And I know everyone's virtual and hybrid and distributed teams, but you, got, you gotta bake into your budgets travel for people to come in 
and get together because I, I just don't believe a great company and a great culture could be, you know, 100% remote where nobody gets to know each other. And, and like as evidence to that, almost all of our employee churn during COVID was people that had joined during COVID. You know, and, and it, it and all of our retention were people that had been with the company pre-COVID and they had kind of drank the Kool-Aid and they kind of knew it. So it's a good sign that, you know, just being purely virtual is gonna have a lot of challenges. So I think the, the big learning was that like, yes, give people the flexibility. I don't think companies are going back to, you know, five days a week in the office, but leaders, instead of just doing, you know, assuming everyone's gonna be in the office, you have to really be intentional about getting teams together in person, because that's what's really gonna build up the culture. Yeah, I love the, just from a leadership perspective, okay, we're gonna build this into the budget, right? Right. Like that's part of it too. Katie, any any thoughts in terms of the distributed teams and how yeah. you maintain that? Our story is very similar to Park Mobile's. We were, the majority of our employees were in Atlanta before COVID, in the office five days a week, a handful of people were distributed. But since being remote, we've seen a lot of the same things. What we lost was those serendipitous interactions that you would get when you just showed up every day at 8.45 and someone else did and you guys got coffee at the same time. You really don't have a reason to interact, but you talk to them every day about their kids and their life and you get to build those relationships. And so we looked at who does this best outside of workforces because everyone's struggling with this and there's not a silver bullet. And one of the things that we looked at was actually religious organizations. They're great at building communities within their populations. And so we looked at how do they do that? And we started this program called Lofter Groups that is similar to a lot of, um, to what a lot of different religious organizations do, kind of a once a week Bible study or youth group or whatever that looks like. And they all have a different topic. There's a start time and end time. We have a different senior leader host them. And it's any topic from parenting, gardening, video games, professional development. I wanna learn more about time management. I wanna learn more about negotiation skills from our sales leader who's hosting one. And so it just gave a different population within the organization an opportunity to connect and build relationships. And some of them re-upped and now just have their own kind of informal groups. Our parenting group still most of them are in Atlanta and they get together regularly in person once a month, but we've had other or other groups kind of start and stop over time. And so it's something we sponsor internally quarterly, and then employees have the opportunity to re-up or join a different one or take the next quarter off. And so that's one way we've found that has helped kind of build some of those serendipitous interactions that we've lost. Donald. Yeah, I'm trying to make sure I'm very mindful. Um, I, I reject the notion that people going into physical spaces means that they have quality relationship. I've seen companies where they force people into the organization or force them into a physical space and there is no real relationship. The depth of connection is surface deep at best. And so like, I, I totally agree with what you're saying, Jeff, and um, around like this idea around connection. Like I, I believe the connection has to happen and that likely does happen in physical spaces but I think what the pandemic has actually revealed, at least from my perspective, is the lack of intentionality behind leadership. And this idea that having physical proximity meant that we were gonna have relationship, and that's not the case. 
I, I, I think if I did a case study on Park Mobile, which I haven't done yet, but I'm happy to do so, that it wasn't just the physical space that allowed Park Mobile folks to be retained through the pandemic, but what happened in those physical spaces. And part of the reason why I gave you know, Nia a, a shout out is we, what we've been doing is like trying to figure out as a distributed company, like how can, be, how can we be more intentional? When people experience greenhouse, what do we want them to experience? Not just from the environment, but also from the level of conversation, the level of vulnerability. Like, what does that look like? And so, like, we've had greenies that we've brought together with this initiative called Gather At, where we take clusters of people geographically and we bring them together. But it's not just for the sake of having a social hour. It's not just for the sake of saying, hey, like, we're hosting this happy hour connect. I'm like, no, like the level of intention behind the conversation is taking people that have been there seven years or even seven days, and we're bridging a connection that just most workplaces don't have. So I agree with you on the connection. I just want to make sure that as leaders, like we have an elevated responsibility now more than ever to make sure that we're rather intentional. And people with disabilities would tell you that prior to the pandemic, they were yelling to, at organizations telling you that they, they, they can do these jobs from home. And people were saying, no, we can't make accommodations for you. But when able-bodied people went home, all of a sudden, now we can do work from home. And so even the level of allyship with them and being intentional around, if you can't make it to a physical space, how do I still make sure that you are afforded the same opportunity for connection? That to me has to be based or rooted in the level of intentions behind leaders. You know, one one point to that, and because I, I totally agree, just forcing people to come into a space doesn't doesn't really do anything. Yeah. If anything, you could make people annoyed because they prefer not to commute in. But what we try to do, and really what we try to do with our leaders was to say, hey, we're going to go back to the office a couple of days a week. But when when your teams come back to the office, we don't want to see people like sitting in cubes, heads down in spreadsheets, right? Like that's the worst thing. Because then like I could do this at home now. I, I've proven for the last two years I could be at home and I could be in my spreadsheets. So your in-office days are actually your collaboration days, your at-home days, your heads-down days, which is, which is very different for a lot. But, but that's the kind of thing we try to get the leaders focus on is, hey, hey, make the most out of your in-office time with your team. You should be in meetings a lot of the day. And then when they're home, they could do their work, you know, do, do all their notes, do their Excel sheets. So I want to pick up on this a little bit, Donald. And, uh, you know, so greenhouse, used to 850 or so, almost a thousand employees all around the globe, right? Primarily distributed environment. And so, what I wanted to 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 get your insight on, and and a little bit about you know being intentional, but also letting it be organic. You can't force it, right? But how do you maintain that that authentic connection? Okay, how do you keep inclusion top of mind behind a Zoom screen, right? And so, so, so I hear you when you say it's intentional, but then I also hear you when, well, I can't just force it and say, okay, everyone, let's collaborate, right? And so what have you found at Greenhouse to find that balance? That's a great question. And if Neo comes on stage and kicks me, that means I gave the wrong answer. I think one of the things that we subscribe to, though, is that most companies have a DE&I team of some shape or form. Some people even call them DEIB, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging. At Greenhouse, like we subscribe to this idea because your point around inclusion through the screen, and like I keep thinking of this 
phenomenal new Arbor, that's what we call our ERGs, this new Arbor that just launched this year called Trellis, which is for people with disabilities. And I think that community, the reason they were able to rally together is because we don't subscribe that to diversity, equity, and inclusion being on the equal platform. We believe that inclusion happens when diversity, equity, and allyship are present. And the allyship piece is important because the allyship piece is the thing that says, if you're not in this physical space, we all still join a device even if we decided to come into the office. The, the allyship says that we have prompts for people, for, for them to understand the importance of putting your pronouns. So your pronouns are not, it's not a task, it's not extra homework, it's creating an environment for people who may not subscribe to what you may think are their default pronouns feeling accepted in the environment when they show up to shared spaces. And so it's like this idea that every great idea starts with inclusion. And so that's, I think that in itself is a shift in the market. And I've sat with enough CPOs recently that they were like, we're missing the mark on allyship. How do I get with your idea team and figure out how do I operationalize that at my company? So I think that's, that, that's the first piece. I think, I think the second piece, though, is like, you know, I think, Jeff, you did a really good job like talking about some of the learnings, right? And uh, Katie, I know, has done this as well at, at Sales Office. Like, companies also have to be willing to omit when there's opportunities where we, hindsight 2020, we didn't get this right on the front end. And so I think when you look at like Greenhouse, for, for example, like, we had offices that people were actually physically going into prior to the pandemic. But as a result of the pandemic, what it did is it accelerated this idea of like, why are we restricting ourselves on where we tap into great talent? Like, I mean, look at the, if you look at the headline today, like Mark Zuckerberg and like Facebook have like laid off almost 13% of their organization, right? And so does that mean that those folks are no longer worthy of great opportunities simply because they're not sitting in a state where you have an entity? And so like this idea around learnings around like, how do we really wanna make sure we lean in on this opportunity that whether you're in a physical space or not in a physical space, that there's a place for you here at Greenhouse. There's a contribution you can make to our, our success as an organization and even our culture. And I think through that and having folks like Jamie Adasi who leads our idea team or people like Nia who are advocates on our idea team, they continue to hold us accountable. We also subscribe to this idea that it's a shared responsibility. And so like, I have a responsibility if I'm in a space that is predominantly occupied by men and a woman is on the phone and she's zooming in, if you don't allow her the opportunity to speak, I will cut you off. Like legit will cut you off and say, hey, hold on, like you need to make sure that her voice is heard. And this idea is like, you gotta create oxygen in a room. Like if I did a show of hands right now, I won't do this because I don't want to offend any of your prior employee, employers, but like, there's people that have been working at places that are suffocating environments, right? And so like, our, our role is like, how do we create as much oxygen in the room for everybody in the room? And so like, that's, that's how we are able to hold each other accountable, whether in person or remote. Love it, love it. Let's create some oxygen. Katie, so you mentioned a little bit about lofter groups, right? So talk to us about, and I think you mentioned that you do them quarterly. So, yeah. so talk to us a little bit about how that helps create inclusion, how that creates connection, or, or am I making an assumption that that is part of that overall connection strategy? Yeah, no. So we created the Lofter Groups to build connection. We realized that's what we were missing. And it's, it's 
part of exactly what Jeff and Donald both talked about. We used to all be together all the time, and it's some of that organic, but also deep relationship pieces that you need to have to have a high-performing team. So we looked at building connection a lot of different ways. We also took our whole company to Mexico last fall. Uh, we can talk about that separately. <laughs> My whole team is looking at me. Full like, story. <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> we got you guys. So we looked at how do we bring people together in person and how do we continue to build relationships remotely? And so we our back to work strategy is intentionally hybrid. So we still have our physical offices. We have one in Atlanta, one in London, one in Guadalajara, Mexico, and one in Singapore. And those are our hiring hubs, but we still hire people dispersed. And employees have the option to be in person as many times as they want, to come in a couple days a week, or never to come in person unless there's some you know, event or reason for them to do so. And so our strategy has been to adapt to different ideas and different programs that allow them to connect however they want to. So the lofter groups, for example, there are in-person lofter groups, there are remote lofter groups. We have regular sync weeks. So once a quarter, our entire executive team gets together which is a natural time for them to bring in their leadership teams or their teams. And you see the, the group that is in Atlanta that maybe doesn't come into the office all the time because they don't want to commute, they show up and we offer lunch again. And it's fun to just see people, food works, <laughs> food brings people together, but it's fun to see different ways to bring people together. And I think it is about intentionality that Donald mentioned. You have to have that intentionality and create different avenues for people to, to connect. That wraps up another edition of The Great Retention. Thank you for joining us and being a leader who genuinely cares about recognizing and empowering the everyday hero and the team members around you. We are proud to support your leadership journey and grateful for your support of this podcast. If you haven't already, please rate the show on Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. This helps us get this content in front of more aspiring people-first business leaders. If you'd like more perspectives on how to create exceptional cultures around award-winning talent, go to coolleaf.com and sign up for our newsletter to get them straight to your inbox two times per month. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the help from our production team at Chat with Leaders Media. Learn how you can launch your own podcast to grow your business at chatwithleaders.com. Thanks again for listening. Now go be people-first leaders by celebrating and connecting your people today. This episode was part one of a two-part live event. HR professionals, thanks for listening. As promised, this episode of the Cool Leaf podcast is valid for 0.5 professional development credits towards SHRM CP, SHRM SCP, and HRCI recertification. To claim your SHRM credit, please visit www.coolleaf.com slash podcast slash SHRM. To claim your HRCI credit, please visit www.coolleaf.com slash podcast slash HRCI. Complete the three-question form to receive your certification code. That's coolleaf.com slash podcast slash SHRM and coolleaf.com slash podcast slash HRCI.